Uh, Bishop Grant now is now a professor at Trinity, where he has served um, in, in several tours uh, as a professor there at, at one of our great seminaries and um, of the Anglican Church. But he and his wife, Wendy, Wendy is a, is a physician, have served as missionaries in Africa um, for many years and have many wonderful stories to tell of God's faithfulness um, to them and through them and with them uh, in their time. And so we just want to welcome him here to come and share with us. So welcome, Thank Bishop Grant. Yeah. What time do I need to stop talking? Okay, okay. It's dangerous when you ask an African bishop to do something. My name is Grant. I am married. I have one wife. And we have uh, two children and one grandchild, a little boy who just turned seven. His name is Samuel. And uh, we got to see him at Christmas for the first time in three years. So it was a wonderful Christmas time. It's wonderful to be with you. Sorry, Wendy's not here. She has a lung disease, and so traveling during uh, COVID is uh, a tricky thing to ask her to do. So it seemed the better part of wisdom for her to stay home, which too bad. She loves South Carolina, not only because the people are warm, but because the weather is warm. Uh, so yeah, keep her in your prayers. Uh, I wonder what goes through your mind when you hear mention of certain places in the world. <clears throat> For example, when you hear the word Tunisia, I think probably a number of people would remember tour terrorist attacks on British tourists. Or when uh, you hear the word Algeria, uh, probably some people remember the assassination of Roman Catholic monks a few years ago and the rise of uh, radical Islam in that country. Libya, no doubt, conjures up images of ISIS beheading Christians on the beach. Of course, when I say Egypt, uh, aside from the pyramids and the Sphinx, uh, Sphinx, by the way, if you, if you go to Egypt, how many have been to Egypt? So you probably know that the, the Sphinx is looking at the Kentucky Fried Chicken. But, um, and it's, I'm really sorry about that, but it's the way it is. Yeah, <laughs> hasn't eaten in thousands of years. Of course, when, so when I say Egypt, probably a lot of you think about recent revolutions that have taken place there. Uh, but Somalia, Somalia, I'm sure people think of as very much a failed state where it's illegal to be a Christian, illegal to own a Bible, very dangerous country. Eritrea is one of the most oppressive, oppressive governments in the world. When I see, say Ethiopia, probably most people think famine, thinking back to the 1980s, although there's much more to Ethiopia than that. And when I say Djibouti, well, most people go blank, uh, except youth groups who say there's a country called Djibouti. Uh, most countries have, I've said this in the sermon this morning, most countries have many or at least several dioceses, but the Diocese of Egypt with North Africa and the Horn of Africa, where my wife served, has had many countries. And since we've left, it's now become a province with four dioceses. Uh, Wendy and I, uh, in 2012, went to live in Ethiopia, where I was the bishop for the Horn of Africa to take care of Christians in Eritrea, Djibouti, Somalia, and Ethiopia. Most of our churches were in Ethiopia but I traveled to those other places. 
until recently, there were only two congregations in the Horn of Africa, until fairly recently. One in Addis Ababa and one in Asmara, Eritrea. Previous churches in Somalia had been destroyed. But now most of our churches in that area, in that area of the world, are in Western Ethiopia, in an area called Gambella. It's a rather harsh area. Gambella has two seasons, dust and ashes and mud. Uh, in dry season, the temperatures reach about 140 degrees Fahrenheit in February and March. In rainy season, the danger from heat goes down. It does still get up to about 100 degrees most days. Uh, but the danger from malaria goes up as the whole area becomes a swamp. I was in South Carolina one time, and, and I said something about, you know, Gambella and rainy season kind of looks like that. And I looked at the window at this area, and the one person in the room said, that is not a swamp. I said, what is it? He said, that is a marsh. I said, what's the difference? He said, but a million and a half dollars. There it is. When I arrived in, uh, in Ethiopia, I was told that the Gambella region had 38 churches. Uh, it was a year in between bishops. Uh, when I actually landed in Gambella, I discovered there were 50 churches. So in between bishops, without asking anybody, the clergy went and the lay people went and planted 12 more churches. <clears throat> By the time we left, six years later, there were uh, 150 churches. And a conversation I had with the Archdeacon of Gambella a couple of weeks ago, there are now 172 churches in Gambella. Church in Gambella was not begun by white missionaries from the Western world. It was begun by refugees, refugees from the war in Sudan. The first Anglican churches in the Gambella region uh, were in refugee camps. Uh, a tribe called the Dinka tribe uh, were Anglicans and they brought Anglican churches with them when they arrived. They worshiped outdoors underneath trees basically, but they formed parishes in refugee camps. Some of these refugee camps had half a million people in them. They were cities of refugees. Uh, they soon reached out to the majority people in the area, the New Air people, uh, and introduced them to the Anglican way of worship. And in some other refugee camps, they reached out to Maban people, and then to Anuak people, and then to the Po people, and so on and so on. The Merle, the Jumjum, the Temakoi, the Majengar people, uh, all now have Anglican churches in that area. Most of our church buildings, for those that have buildings and don't just use trees, were made out of mud and sticks. Uh, some are fancy enough to have tin roofs. A few of them uh, actually have bricks. I think in the Gambella region, two out of the 172 churches. But there's another one going up, the cathedral being built to accommodate 3,000 people, uh, and it has walls now. It'll have a roof in the next few months. The 17 clergy that I inherited uh, had almost no theological training. One was off doing a theological degree. He is back now and is the archdeacon and will probably be the next bishop. Uh, so we started a theological college there. 
Uh, and before we started the theological college, I brought the clergy in two days a month just to teach them. Uh, so they would, they would come. Some of them would take two or three days to get there. They had to, some come by boat. Uh, many had to walk a long, long way. Uh, buses were there in some places, but uh, there's a lot of walking between buses. But they would, every month, they would be there. And I would teach for two days, and they would go home and teach their people what they'd learned. It was an amazing experience. Um, Responding to the good news doesn't always uh, happen in a straightforward way. The Poe people, who are a hunter-gatherer society, who until recently made a living basically by hunting for honey in the forest, by hunting uh, warthog, and for fishing for catfish in the river. Uh, they had not until very recently been introduced to farming or to keeping livestock. There are only 4,000 Poe people in the world. Um, some missionaries went to them one time and talked to them about Jesus, and they were very interested. And they listened, and, and they were hospitable. And while the conversation was going on, a couple of the people went away and made refreshments. Now it's Ethiopia. So what are the refreshments? Coffee. <laughs> so they brought the coffee, and, and these missionaries turned it down. They were Seventh-day Adventist missionaries who explained that you know, they didn't drink caffeine. And the Opo looked... The Poe looked a little confused and said, so if we become Christians, we can't drink coffee. <laughs> and they said, that's right. And the missionary said, oh, and by the way, you can't eat warthog or catfish. And the Poe said, then we will die. So they didn't become Christians. But a few months later, one of our uh, priests in the Gambella region heard about the Poe and sent his deacon, whose name was Gordon Rock, who's uh, six foot ten, <laughs> wonderful guy, uh, to go and explain the gospel to the Poe. There were some Poe people who spoke New Air, and they, Gordon was New Air, so he was able to talk with them. So he went in, started talking about Jesus, and they said, oh, we're interested in this, so tell us about this. So he talked to them about Jesus, and they said, well, we've heard something about this before. We have a question. If we become Christians, do we have to, can we drink coffee? And Gordon said, yeah, yeah, no problem. And they said, oh, we'll be Anglicans. <laughs> Everyone in the Gambella region is poor. Uh, a new refugee camp opened near our place, sadly, uh, about Eight months after we arrived in Western Ethiopia, a civil war began in South Sudan. It's the, the world's newest country. A civil war began in South Sudan, and refugees began to pour into our area, doubled our population in about a year and a half. Uh, and so there was a new refugee camp open, so I was invited to go and, and lead the first worship service. And there, were, uh, there was a tree. It was announced that everybody was going to meet under this tree on a Sunday morning, so... 3,000 refugees gathered under this tree for worship. It was the Sunday after Easter, uh, and I preached, and, and the, the image that sticks in my mind is the offering. What they do for offering is they put a, a sheet on the ground, and people bring up their offering and put it on the sheet. But they're refugees. They're poor. They don't have anything. 
or almost nothing. So people started to come up and I began to realize they were bringing their rations. Uh, and there was a little girl and she was about, she was about that big. She was probably five years old and she had a little metal cup filled with maize, with uh, dried corn, and she poured out her cup on this sheet. I, I wept. Ethiopia is one of the poorest countries in the world, and Gambella is the poorest part of Ethiopia. The employment rate in Gambella is about 10%, not the unemployment rate, the employment rate. Most people live in tukuls, traditional grass and mud houses. Most people do not read. No one has clean water or access to good health care. Most people die young. Poverty is pervasive. It's life-sucking. Malaria, AIDS, tuberculosis, malnutrition, fire. If you live in a grass house, fire is a huge danger. Uh, insecurity from people coming across the border from South Sudan to cattle raid. These are just day-to-day -day realities for the poor of Gambella. They are poor, but the Bible says that God loves the poor and takes care of them. Here's what it says in Isaiah 41. Those who are poor and needy search for water, but there isn't any. Their tongues are dry because they are thirsty, but I will help them. I am the Lord. I will not desert them. I am Israel's God. The Bible says that since God loves the poor, God's people must also love the poor. This is what it says in Leviticus, everybody's favorite book, right? Do not go over your vineyard a second time. Do not pick up the grapes that have fallen to the ground. Leave them for the poor people and outsiders, refugees. I am the Lord your God. Or Deuteronomy, give freely to those who are poor and needy in your land. Open your hands to them. The Bible also says that the poor are responsive to God and God is responsive to them. For he delivers the needy when they call. The poor and those who have no other helper. Psalm 72. The poor know they are needy. The poor know that God is their only help. Now, poverty is connected with powerlessness. In Gambella, the percentage of women who can read is tiny even their own language. The percentage of people with a job is incredibly small. The number of people who can speak English or even the national language Amharic is also small. Very few people, especially women, have been to school. If you lack knowledge, literacy, resources, you are dependent, perpetually needy. Thankfully, most have extended families who provide something of a safety net, but safety nets break. When our good friend Ajulu uh, died of AIDS, the many family members, mostly women, sisters, nieces, aunts, who depended on him were left struggling. The Bible also knows this reality of powerlessness. A Pentecostal pastor a friend of mine was involved in teaching African churches about HIV and AIDS, once said to me that the easiest thing in the world to prove from the Bible is that God cares for widows and orphans and refugees. Deuteronomy again. 
For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Uh, let's, let's watch that first little video. Uh, I'm going to show you two videos today. The first one is called Cham's Story, and it's about one of the women that my wife worked with. And you get to see my wife in this video, so that's, that's a bonus for me and you. This uh, video is done by the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. Uh, they sent a couple of people over to visit us, and they did these two videos that I'll show you this morning. I hope. Yeah. There we go. Champ's story. story, please. I'm trying to celebrate. Okay. Uh, some, uh, like Christmas story, we sometimes celebrate it. Yeah. Okay. when we arrived, I, I, hope, uh, I hope you're able to, to read some of the subtitles because I imagine most of you don't speak Anuak. Uh, Cham, a uh, wonderful woman, uh, her, her, uh, her name means food, and uh, she's a cook. And she's a wonderful lady. Uh, as, as you can gather from this video, uh, the health of children is crucially important. Uh, more than half of the population of Gambella dies before they reach the age of five. So uh, when we arrived in Gambella, my wife discovered she was the head of the mother's union because she was the wife of the bishop. So she met with the women and said, what do you do and what do you want to do? And they said, help, help us help our children. And so she set up a program to teach women about health using things that non-literate people could use to teach stories about health, to, uh, to build up uh, protein and, and other nutrition in their diet to get clean water uh, to help with malaria, to help with burns, because children fall in fire, cooking fires. So all these lessons they learned and then went out into the community and shared these lessons with the community. And because they were sharing these lessons, people were excited. Their children were uh, in better shape. The, the clinics in the area saw fewer children coming in for things, and people began to go to church. They said, here are people who love us. We want to go and worship with them. So it was, it was a remarkable program that Wendy initiated, which is still going. It's run by 
the women of Gambella now, and we were just so grateful that we had the years there to work with them. Now, as well as poverty and powerlessness, uh, the Horn of Africa is also a place where there's persecution, uh, not so much in the Gambella region, but in other regions of the Horn of Africa and other regions of our diocese, which is now a province, uh, there, there are, is widespread persecution. Obviously, in some parts like Somalia, Eritrea, Libya, martyrdom is an ever-present danger for the Christian church. Um, I think I can talk about this next section without having to edit it out by being a little vague, but we have a church for Somali Christians in Addis Ababa. These Christians are mostly women and children who have escaped from their families in Somalia because when it's discovered that they are Christians, their family attempts to kill them. But even in Western Ethiopia, even in Gambela, the majority Christian area, some Christians are harassed and discriminated for being Christians. Some, but not most, uh, uh, not most officials in refugee camps make life difficult for Christians. We had one whole youth group jailed in a refugee camp in order to stop them from singing Christian songs before they went to sleep at night until their priest, a refugee himself, shamed the officials by insisting on being jailed with them. Poverty, powerlessness, and persecution are daily issues for our people because this is their context, the context that they know they need God's saving and constant help. They have faith in God, but they live in a world which tests and builds that faith. They also live in a situation which can make them nervous, fearful, anxious, sometimes terrified. In December 2015, Gambella had the privilege of hosting Nationality Days. Nationality Days is a big event in Ethiopia, and it rotates between the 10 regions of Ethiopia every year. And this was the 10th year uh, that Nationality Days was being held. And so, naturally, Gambella finally got its chance on the 10th year. Uh, and so they planned all kinds of interesting things. Roads were paved, street lights were, and traffic lights were put in, although they all failed within about a month. Uh, a stadium was built for playing soccer. Uh, the airport got a facelift. Even the garbage was cleaned off the streets. On the final night of celebrations, there was a fabulous fireworks display. Wendy and I were at home and we heard the fireworks going off. We weren't sure what was happening. We went outside and we saw, sure enough, the sky was lit up with fireworks for about a half an hour. We loved it. The next morning, we got the rest of the story. Few people in Gabella knew what fireworks were, but they knew what bombs sounded like. So when these fireworks started going off, they thought a war had started. And people panicked and began running, grabbing their children, trying to find places to hide. People were injured. Fireworks uh, really started a panic. The government apologized the next day. Insecurity, fear, and panic are always potential realities. Uh, but the church is there. The church is there in the midst of all this, and the church brings hope. One of the things that people are amazed at when they would come to visit us. And we had, we had three teams from South Carolina come to visit us while we were there. The thing that 
grabs people the most is that in the midst of this poverty, when you worship in an African church, it's filled with joy. And it's a really hard kind of irony to reconcile. But let's watch the second video, which is called Peter's Story. Peter's one of our priests. He's new heir. Jam was Anuak. Peter's new heir. Uh, and this uh, story is the story of uh, Palm Sunday. Some of the slides from the previous video were also from Palm Sunday. You, know, you make palm crosses. They make real palm crosses. They make crowns with palm with In 2015, we opened St. Fermentius Anglican Theological College, named after the fourth century uh, Christian, Frumentius, who was the first accidental missionary to Ethiopia. He was captured on the coast of what's now known as Somalia by pirates. Yes, there were Somali pirates in the fourth century. Uh, and made a slave in the court of the king of Aksum, uh, but he brought the gospel into that situation and taught the king's son about Jesus. So when the king died and the king's son became the king, uh, Aksum became a Christian place. And Frumentius was given his freedom, he and his brother Odysseus. Odysseus went back to Syria, where they were originally from, and became a priest, and uh, Frumentius decided he would go home by way of Egypt. And he stopped in Egypt to talk to the bishop, whose name was Athanasius. And he told him about the little fledgling church in Ethiopia and that they needed missionaries. And Athanasius listened to him and said, yes, that sounds good. And so Athanasius laid hands on him, made him the bishop and sent him back. <laughs> you gotta be careful who you tell things to. So we called our, our college St. Fermentius Anglican Theological College and graduated quite a number of people uh, who are now serving in churches in various capacities, some ordained, some lay people. Uh, we miss being there. We are, we are here because my wife got sick and needed to come home, uh, but we miss them terribly and pray for them every day and uh, manage to find out from time to time what's going on. Uh, Another bishop was appointed after I left, a few, number of months after I left. He was an Indian uh, who had been serving the Anglican Church in Libya, but he kept getting kidnapped. Uh, so Bishop Munir uh, decided to take him out of Libya, and he was made bishop for Gambela. Uh, just before COVID, he went back to India to visit family, and then COVID hit, and he couldn't travel. And then just this New Year's Day, he died of a stroke at the age of 50. Uh, so they don't have a bishop again. But there is a young man named Jeremiah. And um, if, if the bishop of Egypt hears this, I'll probably get in trouble. But Jeremiah will probably be the next bishop. 
He's a wonderful man who has been working very hard to bring the church together across tribal lines and and to continue teaching them. He's he was one of the few now who's got a solid theological education, and is is just a, a wonderful young man who has been involved. He hasn't been to South Carolina, but he has been involved in a South Carolina thing called the Anglican Leadership Institute. He went to it when it was in uh, Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts uh, one, uh, one June. Peter, Peter Moore, many of you know, was, led that Anglican Leadership Institute. So Jeremiah has been to that. And, uh, uh, I'm going to stop there and see if there are any questions that you might have. I hope you managed to see some of those subtitles. Uh, but I, I'm sure even if you didn't, you probably got a good feeling for the ethos of the place. Yes, sir. Well, kind of. Um, the government, uh, th- there's no kind of social wer- welfare system, but the government is probably the largest employer in Gambella. School teachers are paid by the government and police are paid by the government. So most of the jobs in Gambella are government jobs. So there is some support. Uh, Roads are being built. You saw the best road in Gambella in that video. They're not really being built by the government. They're being built by the Chinese. Uh, The Chinese want Sudanese oil. So they build roads from very strange places right to the Sudan border, and that road goes right to the South Sudan border, and it's, it's there so they can truck the oil out and get it to Djibouti and on, and on ship, ships to go wherever they want it to go. China is the new colonial power in Africa. Uh, so the short answer is a little bit, but the real answer is not much. Yes? There's an organization, uh, both in the UK and in this country, called Friends of the Anglican Province of Alexandria. Uh, And you can find them if you Google that, Friends of the Anglican Province of Alexandria. And uh, they will gratefully receive anything you want to give them. If you earmark it for Gambella, even better. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Tell us a little more about Jeremiah. Oh, Jeremiah. Oh, uh, I mean, most Africans think before they, (laughs) let me back up. Jeremiah is probably, it's hard to tell. You know, Africans age differently than we do. So uh, you know that. Uh, I think he's about 45. Uh, Married uh, one wife, uh, three little boys. His wife has just finished training to be a nurse. Uh, He lived in, in Cairo for four years when he was studying theology and, and ran a, a congregation for Sudanese. The New Air people live on both sides of the Ethiopian-South Sudan border. So he would, and he speaks some Dinka, he speaks Arabic fluently. Uh, so he was able to lead this uh, Sudanese ministry in Cairo. And it did a fabulous job there. They didn't, some people did not want him to move back to Ethiopia. But he uh, he said that's where that's where God had called him. So uh, he moved from relative prosperity in Egypt back to the poverty of Gambella. That says something important. 
Um, what was, there was another part to that question. Oh, the U.S. Well, it's only been here once. Most, most Sudanese refugees that I know, and I, I know a lot of Sudanese refugees who live in the, in the United States, um, when I asked them what they thought of the U.S. before they came, they said, we thought it was heaven. And we say, I say, well, what do you think now? And they say, it's not heaven. Uh, they find it very difficult and strange. Uh, the language, the food, the weather, I mean, everything is completely different. The law, uh, they end up raising children who, you know, their parents are African, the children are African-Americans. I mean, they don't, they've never lived in Africa. So they have a completely different cultural understanding. And so families, uh, refugee families in this country have a really hard time. So, pray, yeah, pray for them. Yes, sir. You had mentioned earlier that in Somalia, some people know Bibles yep. and perhaps a symbol. I'm curious what precautions you take and how do you organize your activities? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, we don't have a church in Somalia anymore, but there are Christians there. So they would come and visit me. They would come into Ethiopia and visit. I was able to go to Somalia once. Uh, which is a very long story, which I only have two minutes, so I won't tell you. Uh, we, we, have a Sudanese, uh, uh, we have a Somali congregation in Addis Ababa. It has no cross on the outside of it. It has no sign on it because it's in a Somali area of town, and that's, that's dangerous. Even in a majority Christian country like Ethiopia, it's dangerous in a Somali area to advertise being a church. Uh, but they're, they're, they're just wonderful Christians. There's nothing like Somali Christian singing. It, it's unlike anything I've heard anywhere else. Uh, they, they do have Bibles. They're on their cell phones. Everybody's got a cell phone in Africa, by the way. There are no monthly fees. You buy a phone for 30 bucks or something, if you can get the money, and then you pay for the minutes. Uh, so my clergy would have their phone, and then they would phone me and hang up so that I would have to phone, so they wouldn't be charged the money for the minutes. Yeah. Last question, I'm afraid. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, what did they believe before? Well, um, most uh, sub-Saharan Africans uh, have an African traditional religious background. Every ethnic group in Africa has a slightly different tradition uh, and a slightly different understanding of God. But it's quite misunderstood in the West. Uh, Africans are not polytheists. Africans are monotheists. They believe there's one God who created the world, who cares for the world, who sends the rain, uh, but he's really far away. We have offended him and we have pushed him away. That's the African understanding of God. So when we tell them that that God that you've always believed in, who made the world, has come to you in Jesus and loves you and is not far from you and actually died for your sins. So they understand sacrifice. Sacrifice is a way of establishing communion with God. They've always believed that. We tell them that Jesus is the sacrifice. They're just amazed that, that the Christian story completes their story. It, it's just, that's why so many are becoming Christians, because Christianity fits into their worldview. It, it's understandable to them. Thank you.
And I'd like to just say, um, if we could, a brief prayer before we um, move on. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for opening a window for us um, to see brothers and sisters um, from across the world, from another culture, who speak a different language, and yet with whom we will um, praise you forever and ever in your presence. But now, Lord, in this um, earthly pilgrimage, we pray for your continued provision. And in particular, as Grant and Wendy um, have had to step away from the mission field, we pray that you would bless them and guide and direct them, Lord, that even from afar, um, you might work through them um, to tell the story of these great people and that others might come to know them, to love them, and to care for them um, and to walk with them um, in their journey of faith and our journey of faith. Father, we ask all these things expectantly, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have brought some propaganda, but it's, it's about two things. One is Trinity School for Ministry, where I teach. So if you want to come and study theology online, gen term, June term, or full time, there's information there. Uh, and if you want to learn more about mission, come to the New Wineskins Missionary Conference, which will be held in September. And there's information about that there, too. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you. Can I help you carry anything? You got